It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio on a Tuesday evening and doing a midweek pod, which feels like it's been a while since we've done one of these. And now that we are in the full swing of basketball season, I am in a better place than I probably thought I would be on December 12th. As it relates to this Illini team and my overall enjoyment of them. And I'm going to be honest, this is going to be a very positive podcast, if that's okay. I know that for some for some reason I get pigeonholed as like the negative Illini fans sometimes, but that's really not the case. And I, I really am encouraged by what I've seen so far from this team. But the question I asked at the beginning of this basketball season, I, I asked Isaac this at Poor Brothers on October 21st, and I still kind of hold to this. And I've been reflecting on it as I've watched other college basketball teams look not so good. What do we want or what do we need from the Brad Underwood experience? And as I'm watching other teams and specifically other Big Ten programs kind of flounder, I'm seeing Illinois as one of three Big Ten teams that are ranked. And other than Wisconsin, really the only possible threat, if you even want to call it that for Purdue, and thinking, you know what, things are things are pretty good. Now, the concerns that I have have been well documented, and, and I'm not alone in it. I mean, there's the obvious concern of you do not have a playmaking point guard, and I think at times in the Tennessee game, that might have been a problem for you, and it will be a problem in certain other points this year. It may be the thing that keeps this team from making a seriously deep run in the tournament and ultimately caps their potential. That's true. There was actually a funny quote that Brad Underwood had that I know Jay Wright ran with on that uh, the start of the Illinois-Tennessee game where Brad said that point guard is overrated. Now, he might have very well said that in jest or tongue planted firmly in cheek. I don't know if he even really believes that. And Brad Underwood is prone to hyperbole. But this team has been playing in a way and playing with an energy and kind of focus that has made it a little bit easier to forgive some of those blatant whether you want to call them oversights or roster construction flaws. This team has an identity far earlier than I thought that they would. They're tough. They are tough. And they're big. And they're athletic. Those those we kind of expected. And overall, they're also pretty smart. Yeah, there are a lot of turnovers in the Rutgers game, though I think a handful of those came late. that kind of padded those stats. I think last week the most impressive thing in those two games was how clean they played. And that's with the absence of a true point guard. How clean this team is playing is not something I expected. So I sit here on December 12th enjoying what I'm seeing, feeling overall pretty optimistic about the course that this team can take throughout the rest of the year and emboldened by the fact that this Big Ten is in fact worse than I think many of us even could have projected. And it's not like any of us were all that high in the Big Ten to begin with. We got a whole lot of winnable games coming up. And you can also take solace in the fact that other than Purdue on the schedule, there is not a team as good as Tennessee. To give you kind of an indication of that, Marquette, you played them earlier, fifth best team in the country, according to Ken Palm. You lost by seven at home. Tennessee, the ninth best team in the country on the road. You lost by seven. Florida Atlantic, 20th best team. You beat them 98-89. And Rutgers on the road, we know that that went very well. The Rutgers, according to Ken Palm, is 72. They are not all that great, and that kind of is par for the course in the Big Ten. All that is to say, when I look at this team and think about my expectations for them and what I think about, you know, 
how will I be a happy Alani basketball fan with the current course of the Brad Underwood era? This is good basketball. Maybe not great. And of course, there's the albatross of March success or lack thereof that is looming over all of this and can be just magically whisked away if you just make the second weekend, right? Our expectations are not crazy. We are not asking for the moon. We're asking for a very rare, for this program actually, trip to the second weekend. And then you would actually probably sit going into 2023 or the 2024-25 season pretty darn high about things. So before I get to the sponsors and before I get to the games that we saw, I want to focus on Brad Underwood here because, you know, there have been many criticisms I've levied towards him dating back to last Big Ten season. Not really the non-conference. I mean, it was hard to complain when you beat UCLA, when you beat Texas, even though those were both comebacks. And, you know, in hindsight, they were kind of harbinger of things to come. You know, occasional brilliance, but a whole lot of messiness with last year's team. They were wins that really covered a lot of blemishes that really came to roost in January and February. And as that season wore on, so did my patience with Brad Underwood. And I was acknowledging that, hey, if this is worst case scenario, you're still making a tournament, that's fine. But I think we would all admit that to some degree last year was very taxing because it was. And that as we entered this offseason, Of course, we were excited that Illinois basketball would be back just the same way that we are most seasons. But I don't think there were the same sort of really lofty bits of excitement that we had even going into last year where we thought, wow, Brad Underwood has amassed this really talented team with these freshman stud point guards and great transfers. This year was basically running it back. That worried me. Because even though I knew that this team was probably going to be more likable, I felt like we have stagnated. And here's the thing. Even at 7-2 and two, and a chance to finish this non-conference 10-2, and two, which would be pretty darn good, or I guess you throw the Rutgers game in there, but basically leaving 2023 at 10-2, and two, that's right there for you. And frankly, it should happen. Anything less would be a disappointment. But while all those things could be true about stagnation and you aren't going to reach any elite status with Brad Underwood, the fact is this. The guy is winning at a very high clip. And he's doing it consistently. He's doing it in different ways with very different teams. If I were to give Brad Underwood credit for one primary thing that he does very, very well, I think that thing is flexibility in terms of the kind of game that he's going to play with each team. All of his teams have looked very different. Now, that's good and bad news. I can look at Wisconsin and say they have an identity. Well, guess what? That identity started to stagnate for them, and we saw Greg Gard have to sort of adjust this year. You're seeing them win with a little bit different style than maybe Wisconsin has grown accustomed to. They got That thing got tired up there. You could say that in the case of Michigan State, that identity has worked out pretty well for Tom Izzo over the course of 20-some years, even though they don't look so good right now. But I think there's something to be said about flexibility in this college basketball environment where every year your roster is going to be different. And if somehow Brad Underwood can couple that flexibility with a little bit more stability for the guys that he does bring in, and I admit, high school recruiting is not as important anymore. It just isn't. And I don't think he's prioritizing it more than a few guys per class and saying, I want you and you, 
Why not leave those other scholarships open for the transfer portal? I, I get it. I, I kind of appreciate that about Brad Underwood right now. One final point, too, because I know this gets kind of brought up with him, and I had my issues with it last year. You know, eventually when enough guys transfer out, you start wondering, well, okay, is it their problem? Can it be all of their individual problems? Or maybe, just maybe, it's the guy at the top that is driving them away. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And we've seen it on the sidelines before with Brad Underwood that he can get really fired up. And sometimes that might be called for. And other times it's like, oh, my God. Even as a fan, it could be a little bit draining. Last year, I think we saw a guy eventually just check out and say, I've yelled, I've screamed, I've stomped and all of that. And it's not working. This year, he seems like a pretty happy guy. And I'd like to think in my most optimistic of moments that for a guy that is now in his eighth year of high-level D1 college basketball coaching, one at Oklahoma State, seven here, that as with anybody, you learn a few things along the way of what works and what doesn't. And he's all done this in the ever-changing landscape of name, image, likeness, and transfer portal. If this sounds like, whoa, is Carp like coming around to Brad Underwood? It sounds like I ever left him. You know, like even with my problems with Brad Underwood, I would acknowledge that he's done pretty damn good. Illinois basketball is relevant in a consistent way that they have not been since the early Bruce Weber years. And that was the highest of high, right? But this is pretty good. This is consistent top 20 caliber basketball. And as I look around at other Big Ten teams, just floundering in mediocrity, yeah, this is really nice. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying this team. I'm enjoying the fact that they get to play the first CBS Saturday morning basketball game, and it's kind of a big deal for college basketball fans across the nation to tune in to a Tennessee-Illinois game. That eye matters again when it pops up on CBS or ESPN or whatever channel is playing them. It has cachet in a way that it hasn't in a long time, and that is very much due to Brad Underwood and, of course, Io and Kofi. Yes, some those marquee guys helped elevate that program for him, but to his credit, in the post-Kofi and Io era, he also seems to have an ability to retain the talent you have, the best of talent, let me rephrase, okay, with Terrence and Coleman, and bring in some new ones. And if we can somehow avoid losing half the roster each year, I think that makes it all the better. Now, I say all that before I get to sponsors. RJ Melendez, not good. <laughs> you know, like, he's not very good for Georgia. It's not like that was a big loss. Jaden Epps is pretty good. Jaden Epps is a really good college basketball player. And while he's not your perfect point guard, he is a tough I mean, we saw it. I, you could argue that mentally he's not tough because he couldn't handle Underwood, but that is a four-year starting point guard, and he's doing very well for Georgetown. Andre Curbelo, oh my God, this poor kid. I, you might have seen this on Twitter last night. Got a technical on the bench, and then he just left and went and sat with kids in the student section. I don't know what's going on with that guy, but he has mental issues. And, and I say that not in a joking way. It's actually pretty sad. Yeah, you know... Um, I, I have talked many times on this podcast about the what the hell is going on? Why are all these guys leaving? The Adam Millers of the world who just got denied a waiver for his fifth school in six years. I admit the idiocy and the stupidity of this just constant motion in college basketball. And I know it's not all due to Brad Underwood. 
But I think this year, if there was one thing that I could wish for when all is said and done, and we get into late March and we get into mid-April and the transfer portal is opening up and we're looking at next year's roster, which will be very different, we know that. I would like to feel more of a sense of stability. And I will say that through a month and a half of this season, I feel like it is trending in that direction in a way that I did not feel last January and February. And that could be the sign of a coach that's really figuring out what formula works for him at this school, in this conference, with all the resources at his disposal. If that is the case, we got a pretty good thing going, and it gives me optimism for not just this year, which is a pretty damn good team, I think, but for the foreseeable future. Now, that was a longer opening segment and, and maybe a bit jumbled because it's going between you know, what we've seen this year and, and Brad Underwood is the long-term guy for Illinois, which I think he is. And what I want to talk about next is what we've actually seen on the court this year and why that gives me some optimism going forward to the rest of this month and then into the Big Ten season. But before I get too far into it, Got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So order online at dpdoe.com to get a custom zone with any toppings that you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. That is dpdoe.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. It's not too late to get that furnace checked. And by the way, with the holidays coming up and all the Christmas parties and and Yuletide-related things that you might be hosting, you want to make sure that you get a nice toasty house for all the guests coming over. To their credit, I mean, listen, we've been with Dogtown for a couple years now, not just on the podcast, but using them for our furnace and AC checks. Our furnace has been toasty as can be. They checked it, gave it a clean bill of health, did a few little tweaks. It's, it's running as well as it ever has, and we have an old furnace. So we trust them, and you should as well. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing at 217-841-4728. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, who joined me on Saturday for the Tennessee game. It was great to have Brian back on the podcast. He is excellent, not just as a podcaster, which is impressive. He's done like six of them. They're all great. He's like a natural at it. But as my guy for insurance, life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is our guy and will be forever. I mean, he has really just made it so easy for Karen and I with our new home that we got a few years ago and uh, with the bundle that we have, we get state farm prices, but also just second to none customer service from Brian and his staff. That's state farm agent, Brian Hanson online at brianismyguy.com. And finally, Luke Owen at Owen builders, LLC, visit them online at owenbuildersllc.com. They have a gallery of their work. So if you're looking for home additions, patios, decks, get a free quote today. And here's the thing. You can look at the forecast. The next couple weeks are going to be warm. Our winters in Champaign-Urbana aren't anything that they can't really work through. So don't let the fact that it's winter months dissuade you from checking out their work and maybe getting a free quote for something that you want done on your home. That's OwenBuildersLLC.com. Got to thank Champagne Showers as well uh, for being our podcast network, along with a couple other podcasts. Elizabeth Hess has I Have to Ask which is a good interview podcast. And then there's also Champagne is also a band that does local music. So we are the sports podcast on the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. I want to thank those on, let's see, Apple Podcasts for rating and reviewing us. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. I haven't mentioned that in a while, at Fanboy Carp. I don't tweet as much. I've noticed there's this ever-increasing occurrence that if I ever say something that people don't like, it's usually anonymous guys with Chief Alonawek avatars that 
are making comments on my hair. I don't know what is so freaking fascinating about my hair, but um, hey, I'd rather have memorable hair than none at all. So I guess I got that going for me. Uh, this Illini basketball team. Last week, 1-1. One one. Let's include the Rutgers game. That's a 2-1 and one stretch in three crucial games that I would have said before the Rutgers game. It was essential to get two if you wanted to feel good. And I think we all probably felt like the Rutgers and Florida Atlantic games were the best opportunities for that. What do you know? They smoke Rutgers. In a game that when I woke up that Saturday, we were me and 11 other friends were up at this cabin in, in the Dells. And I went for a run. And by the way, if you've never been to Wisconsin Dells, beautiful little area. So I, I run downtown and <clears throat> I get back to the house and I text Trevor and Isaac and I say, I, I'm not feeling it. Now, that gut feeling that you get before games is not really that telling. I, I, if I were to actually chart how often the gut feeling is right, hard to say, right? I did feel good before the Florida Atlantic game, but that was informed by what I saw against Rutgers. Let's start with the road game in the Big Ten, because Rutgers is not a great team. They might not even be good for that matter, and they're probably not an NCAA tournament team. But let's say under Steve Peichel, even in an off year for them, they are probably an NIT team. Now, to get that win on the road in that dominating a fashion, in a tough environment, in what was the first true road game for this team, I mean, they had been at the State Farm Center up until that point, is the sign of a very old and mature team. And if there's one thing that Brad Underwood did better than any, yes, there's the athleticism, there's the size, but it's the experience of this team that gives them that much more of an edge and especially in March, when you're going to get these matchups against maybe some upstart teams in that first round, I do feel a little bit more comfortable with the fact that you got all these like 23-year-olds out there that some of which, like a Quincy Guerrier, who's already been in Syracuse and Oregon, a Terrence Shannon Jr. who has been to a Final Four with Texas Tech, I have a little bit more comfort going into those situations with that group of guys. And on top of the experience, which Matthew Meyer, for example, had plenty of experience, but there just wasn't that maturity that came with it. And this team does seem to have a maturity about it. Case in point, you have a five-point lead against Rutgers after having been up by as many as 18 in the first half. You go into halftime, and I remember thinking, oh my God, like we're going to have a dogfight on our hands. Whatever happened in that locker room... They came out and played their most focused ball for the next four minutes. The, the very first four minutes of that second half, Illinois basically said, no, this is not, this is not going to be a ball game. It was incredibly impressive. And as I'm pulling up the stats here of that game, and just kind of, I think Ken Palm might have that uh, chart that kind of shows basically win probabilities and all that. I'm loading that right now. But I just remember being really impressed by that opening stretch in the second half, and really the entire second half up until the last four minutes was very impressive. It showed a level of focus that was nowhere to be found on last year's team. It showed a level of patience that was really something else. To give you a kind of hint of what, what happened in that game, the first 10 minutes of that game, Illinois took an 11-point lead, 24-13. to 13. That essentially flipped in the second half of that first half. So, okay, so minutes... Um, the 10th through the 20th minute of that game where Rutgers outscored you by six. They made it a five-point game at half. But in the first 10 minutes of that second half, Illinois outscored Rutgers 17-8. to That's dominant defense, and that's patient offense. And 76 points at Rutgers, I know 76 is not 100. It's not the 98 that you put up against Ford Atlantic, but given the pace of that game, 
and the opponent on the road, 76 points is very impressive. So to me, that that led into this confidence going into Florida Atlantic that I thought, this is the game that it would be nice to get the win because Florida Atlantic will remain a quality win no matter what happens. That is a team that might lose three or four more games the rest of the season. Because they were in the Final Four last year, they will probably get a pretty good seed in the NCAA tournament. And the way that you closed out that game against Ford Atlantic, I mean, again, talk about just absolute maturity. We have a two-point game under two minutes to go. Coleman Hawkins nails an absolute dagger three and makes two clutch free throws. And that was just one of the many heroes in that game. Of course, Damask was unconscious. And of course, Taryn Shannon was Taryn Shannon. I mean, it, it was altogether very impressive when Ford Atlantic, who refused to go away, you kept them at arm's length because you were patient and you were smart. And hey, quite honestly, you were tougher than they were. And, and as I heard Jeremy talking with Mike LaTulip, it wasn't a question of Ford Atlantic being off that game. They weren't. Ford Atlantic was really good that game. You were even better. That's really impressive. And that is a win that's going to be quality for the rest of the way. Now, Tennessee did show some cracks, right? And as I was talking with Brian watching that game, there were moments where I thought, well, that feel-good vibe is kind of escaping, right? When Tennessee took about a 10-11 point lead in that second half and Illinois was getting a bit sloppy, though credit to Tennessee's defense, I know that had something to do with it. It was like, God damn it. You know, like this isn't going to be a game that goes down to the wire. Instead, it might be one where we lose by double digits. Now, Illinois never let it get completely out of hand, though the the game result was kind of known with about eight minutes to go, right? There wasn't much suspense. All that said, it's one of those games, too, where you can look at the box score and say, okay, I see that Dalton Connect did this, and then I see that Taryn Shannon did this. And if I really want to simplify it down to the barest of bones, it's the fact that Terrence Shannon, despite getting 22 points, many of them late, was not as good as their superstar. And that your supporting cast, who was the best player outside of that? Well, Quincy Guerrier, of course, but Damask, non-factor. Luke Goody, eh, hit or miss affair. You you were not getting the same impact from your role players as Tennessee was. At, At the end of the day, I look at that game as simply... Tennessee probably outplayed you for 30 of those 40 minutes. The better team won. They were at home. And if you were to play that same team again at your place, I'd feel pretty good that you'd get like a four or five point win yourself. So I did not leave that game thinking, oh man, we we aren't in their league. I left that game thinking we aren't there yet. And yet we still held our own. So, As we go into this week, all right, there's no games this week, and we have Colgate coming up. Now it's a question of how does this translate going forward? And and I can tell you this right now, and let's just keep it very simple. I like to, you know, when I look at the schedule, I like to kind of set expectations and say, okay, as long as they do this, I'm good until they begin the next step. Colgate, Missouri, Fairleigh Dickinson. You win the next three. We will talk about Missouri next week, though I will let you know and I probably don't even have to because you're in the same boat as I am, I'm sure. You got to win that game. That does carry some extra import because as far as a feel-good narrative that's going on with this team, beating Missouri for the first time in a few years 
would go a long way in doing that. Or let me rephrase. You did beat them two years ago. You smoked them the Big Ten championship year, I believe, right? Last year was kind of an embarrassing, kind of, what am I talking about? It was an embarrassing effort. And then the IO Kofi year, the COVID year, you lost to Columbia. (coughs) The year before that, lackluster. The year before that, a loss. So all that, Brad Underwood is two and four against Missouri, and those Missouri teams have not been all that good. It is time to make a statement in that game. And of course, I'll take a one-point win, of course. It feel good regardless. But right before Christmas, that extra little kick you get when you know, hey, we have a pretty good team and we beat Missouri, we need as a fan base to feel those vibes again because it, it does matter. And I, I say somewhat in jest but somewhat half seriously, I, I don't know how much this team cares about Missouri. I wish they cared more because I do think a rivalry game like that when you know you're going to play – you know, you don't have any tough game. You get get a scrub opponent after Missouri every year, right? You can have an emotional hangover after Missouri. You can pour everything into that game and still have enough left in the tank to beat fairly Dickinson on December 29th. If I see anything less than an inspired effort, I'll, I'll have that little, oh, God, why, why this again? You know, I even went to StubHub today just out of curiosity to look at available tickets and I think, eh, and I thought, wait a second, if I find myself in that arena and it's not going well, I'm not going to be a happy guy. I would probably say fool me three times, shame on, yeah, I mean, because that would be a repeat, an all too troubling repeat of what we've seen in that series with Brad Underwood at the helm. I want Brad Underwood to be more like Bill Self than Lon Kruger, and I love Lon Kruger. But Lon Kruger went 1-4 and four against Missouri. And I remember when Bill Self came here, they circled that Missouri game. It was an overtime win that first year. It means something, man. It means something. And it would be especially sweet this year to cap off what was a very good start to the year with a win against Missouri. But before I get too far, yes, there is Colgate to talk about, which I know is considered the signature trap game. Ken Palm has you winning that game by 17. Colgate is 137 in the country. You are 14th or 16th, excuse me. And no, you're 14th according to Ken Palm and you're 16th according to AP. And they have losses at Syracuse only by four, but Syracuse is struggling mightily this year. They have lost to Yale at a neutral site by 18, Harvard by six, mighty Harvard. And then at Arizona, they lost by 27 though. Hey, that's about the, that's about the margin that Wisconsin lost to Arizona by. So no big deal there. They are a team that can shoot the three fairly effectively at 35%. They slow things down. They're a very slow team, right? So it's one of those that if you get down by three scores or something like that, and you find yourself with 10 minutes to go in the game, you've been sleepwalking through it. Yeah, you better get nervous. And we did see earlier this year with the likes of Oakland at home or Valparaiso in the first half. That Okay, this team is still capable of maybe laying an egg, but I do look at that Rutgers game and hope that the way it carried over to Florida Atlantic and much of the Tennessee game offensively, that you figured out those offensive woes, that now you kind of have an identity offensively much more than you even did three weeks ago. Uh, this leads to a point. I, I tweeted out against Valparaiso. So I was in Michigan following the game along the box score in the, in the text thread. So... You can call this a, a knee-jerk reaction. I'm prone to those every now and then. I am. 
But I tweeted out paraphrasing that, you know, no matter what the result of, the, of this Valparaiso game, this team is a big nothing burger. We ran it back after all the issues last year, we essentially ran it back with a few different pieces. And why would we expect different results? Now, after we beat Florida Atlantic and I was celebrating that win, which deserves to be celebrated and giving credit where it's due to the coaching staff and the players, someone said, oh, look at, you know, flip-flopping. And they, they were trying to do that gotcha thing on Twitter. And I said, whatever the guy's name was, oh, you know, God forbid I changed my mind after observing, you know, changes happened before us because that team against Valparaiso was not the team that we saw against Florida Atlantic. They have improved drastically in those three weeks. Now, as that person made the point, well, you don't need to make so many knee-trick reactions. That's fair. But listen, <laughs> of course, I, I try to be reasonable, but every now and then, the emotion comes out. And don't you want to be entertained? I'm not just going to say a hot take to say a hot take, right? I don't mean that. But if I just sit here and say, well, who knows? I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Yeah, it was a rough start against Valparaiso, but yeah, I mean, we don't really know anything. That's not compelling, so it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I would prefer to err on the side of, okay, yes, I'm going to try to be objective in my observations, but I am going to balance that with emotion. And I was kind of pissed off when I saw in the first half against Valparaiso, this team was doing nothing. They looked bad. They couldn't stop a, a terrible Valparaiso team. No, this is a different team. And yeah, it's only three weeks, but you know, it's impressive how within those three weeks, they've found something. And yeah, that's worth that's worth celebrating. I mean, you know, I, I am in a much different place, as I said, in the opening segment, in a much different place of this team than I probably thought I'd be. I was worried and have had many text conversations with Trevor and Isaac, specific, you know, many point guard related, of course, that we were going to go through the season and eventually, you know, what narratives do you have to hang on other than, God darn it, if we would have just, I don't know, I just made up a word there. What if we would have just gotten Ray J. Dennis and then it all would have been different? In other words, I was worried that we would have to kind of regurgitate the same talking points for this team all year long. I don't think that's the case. And I do think as I look at the last three games, and even dating back to the Western Illinois game and Southern, they were dominant. Uh, yes, I know those are scrub teams, but what I like about this team and why it's a little bit easier to root for, a lot easier to root for than last year, certainly, but why they are just objectively easy to root for on their own in a vacuum. They are pretty damn tough. They take it to the rim. They play good defense, and I don't let the 86 against Tennessee and the 90, uh, the 89 against Fort Atlantic fool you. Those games were, there were so many possessions on both sides that even after those two games, I'm not worried about the defense. I think when push comes to shove, and especially in the Big Ten, that is a defense that's going to be really stifling. It's, it's easy to root for that. Even when there are issues like, okay, Ty Rogers can't score. I mean, he's just, he can't really. But I love the guy, you know, and I want him to succeed. And I know on defense, I see certain possessions where I'm like, good God, he's playing his ass off right now. Taren, Terrence Shannon's a bowling ball. And yeah, Tennessee was an off game for him, but his off game now is 22 points. He has assumed the alpha dog role in a way that should give us a lot of encouragement because last year it could be so maddening when we knew there was a first team all Big Ten player and he could be so passive. We are not seeing that this year. Coleman Hawkins, since his injury, coming back those three games, I thought 
net positive big time. Defensively against Rutgers, towards the end of the Florida Atlantic game, helping you close that out. And I thought Tennessee, you could say you shot too many threes, but you know what? They were good looks. He made a couple. He's warming up. And I do think that now he doesn't need to feel the load of being the second leading scorer because you could have a Damas do it one night. You could have a Quincy Guerrier go off for 22 points on the road against a top 15 team. That that's only going to help his game and not let him force it when he doesn't have to. This is a cool little collection of guys and the rotation is going to be small, right? It's eight guys. When it all comes down to it in games that matter, it's an eight-man rotation. And that eighth guy is Dane Danger, and some nights that might be four minutes. And then it's, nope, not working, take a seat. You might get Hansberry in some spot minutes. I like him, by the way. He looks the part, I know that. But you're seeing the emergence of Justin Harmon. He's a good basketball player. Those three games, that was the Justin Harmon, and in a way, for me, it was the Justin Harmon coming out party. Someone now that feels like a valuable piece off the bench. And Luke Goody, another good three-game stretch for him. So th- this is a cool team. It's it's a lot of tweeners, right? Talk about positionless basketball, which I know that Brad Underwood really hit on that before his second team, which ended up setting a record for losses in a single season. But this embodies that t- positionless basketball thing more than any other Brad Underwood team. And that's going to present problems for some teams. Now, that can present problems for this team if they're facing a really good point guard, and we've seen that with Kolek, with Marquette. And it might present problems late in game situations where, yeah, Terrence Shannon is a guy that can create his own shot and he can get to the line, worst case. And Damask at least has shown the ability to do that as well. But sometimes you do just need a playmaking point guard that can open things up a little bit, spread the court, and, and get an open look in the corner or something like that. There are limitations, but you know what? Short of Arizona, I mean, Purdue, there's not many teams that you would look at and say, oh, well, they are without limitations. And I do think that this Illinois team has more strengths, at least more than I could have perceived before the year. They have more strengths and weaknesses to start with, and that some of their strengths are going to be difficult for other teams to counter. And that that's kind of a cool position to be in, I feel like. Now, looking forward... Let's say that they win the next three games as they should, and you're 10-2 and two going into the meat of your Big Ten schedule. 19 games beginning Tuesday, January 2nd with Northwestern at home all the way to the final game of the year at Iowa. As I look at Ken Palm, they project the record to be 22-9 and nine with a 14-6 and six record in the Big Ten. That right there is a four seed in the NCAA tournament. It is. The losses they predict are two against Purdue, at Wisconsin, and unfortunately, you don't get Wisconsin at home. You only get them away, which that's some bad luck with scheduling. And Ohio State, which, again, bad luck. You only get them on the road and not away. Or sorry, you only get them on the road and not at home. So 14-6 and six is what they predict. You're 1-0 right now. That would be 13-6 and six the rest of the way, and that, that sounds about right. Because as I look down the schedule, Northwestern at home, Purdue on the road, loss. Let's call that 2-1. and one. Michigan State and Maryland at home. Those two teams look not very good. That could be four and one. On the road against Michigan, that could be five and one. Rutgers at home, that could be six and one. <laughs> Let's throw in a loss at Northwestern there to just make it five and two. Indiana at home, six and two. Ohio State on the road, let's call it six and three. Nebraska at home, let's call that seven and three. 
Michigan State on the road. I like that matchup. I really do. Eight and three. I'm sorry. I'm picking the win against. I'm picking the sweep against Michigan State. Michigan at home, nine and three. Maryland on the road, ten and three. Penn State on the road, eleven and three. Iowa at home, twelve and three. Minnesota at home, thirteen. You know, a chance to be thirteen and three going in the Wisconsin Purdue Iowa stretch at the end of it. Now, does that seem lofty? Maybe so. But those teams I just listed, do any of them scare you? If you are in a long Big Ten stretch, right? Often the biggest, burliest, toughest team can just muscle their way to wins late. And as we get into the dredges of that stretch, in in February when the legs are getting a little bit tired, and man, this, this team, when they got to go get a bucket late, how are they going to do it? They're going to take it to the rim. They're going to they're going to draw a foul, right? You look at a lot of other, these other teams, and they're going to be reliant on a three-pointer to either tie it or get them the lead late in situations. And you could say to yourself, well, that might be a little bit more efficient, right? And yeah, maybe so. But there's something about this conference and the old kind of bully ball that we've seen from Michigan State for many, many years, for example, that ends up paying dividends. Why is Michigan State struggling right now? They can't play bully ball. They don't have a front court worth of crap. They got good guards, but it doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't have guys at the four and five position that can actually bang up on people. What we have, in contrast to that, is a bunch of guys that can bang around a little bit, that can get some easy shots, and that can bully the opponent. This is a team that I think Tom Izzo would have a lot of fun coaching. Now, the problem, and I've talked about this earlier, you know, I like the flexibility and the adaptability of Brad Underwood. I think that's one of his biggest strengths. Now, the problem with that is you will run into situations like this year where you are a one-and-done team. This is a one-year deal. I wish we could get two years of this team because I think that given more time, they could coalesce into something even better than what we see right now. But we aren't going to get that opportunity. And there's a risk that you run with it. And you aren't really giving yourself a lot of margin for error, right? But as it stands for this team in this season, it could work. And after what I've seen so far in these first nine games, I tend to believe against the schedule coming up that it will work more often than not. And if it does, it's not like we need a Big Ten championship. I don't think anyone's expecting that because Purdue, despite their loss to Northwestern, is that good. But I do think you can say with some confidence, one, be in the top four of the Big Ten. I don't think that should be an issue. Keep winning games and get yourself a seed in the NCAA tournament that makes it that much more likely to make the second weekend. If we were to check off boxes for things that we need to see from this team, the first one would be get a big non-conference win. They got that in Fort Atlantic. Second one for a lot of us would probably be beat Missouri. Okay, that's coming up soon. The third one would be top four finish in the Big Ten. That's right there for you. And the biggest one of all would be second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Those are all reasonable expectations. And going into this year, they seemed a little less reasonable. I thought, well, I don't, why would this team make the second weekend of the tournament? But we've seen so far that in matchups against teams that, like a Tennessee, they are your prototypical three seed. That is a three seed if i ever seen one, right? Florida Atlantic, that's like a five seed. That's your second round game. Four-seed Illinois versus five-seed Florida Atlantic. Yeah, you can hang. You can win. When you got Terrence Shannon playing like he is right now at an All-American level, you have a chance in any game. Make the second weekend, then take your chance against a one-seed. You know, what the hell? Who cares? 
but set yourself up where you don't need to play that one seed in the second round like you would have last year if you would have beat Arkansas. The problem with last year is we saw everything falling around us. We saw a team that would have been a three seed four weeks into the season play such mediocre basketball from that point on that they fell all the way down to an eight. And that even if they would have beat Arkansas, you would not have felt good about them against Kansas the next next game, right? I know Arkansas beat them, but there was no chance in hell that Illinois would have done that. So we're in a good spot. Reason to be optimistic. Yes, there are flaws on this team, but what they're good at, they're really good at, and they should probably only get better at that. And you take all those things together with a weak schedule, but fortunately a conference that for whatever reason seems to get the benefit of the doubt whenever it comes to Selection Sunday, hmm, I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because the Big Ten has a lot of money and they're really influential. It works out well for us, in basketball especially, and I do think that's something this team and this program can take advantage of, and I hope they do. Because it does feel like a year that can really be a get-right year and kind of a nice ah, a palate cleanser in a way and wrap up the first seven years of the Brad Underwood experience in a really positive way where we say, hey, look, Big Ten tournament title, Big Ten regular season title. They finally got over the second week in the tournament hump, which is not just a Brad Underwood thing, mind you. That's an Illinois basketball thing in my life. That is a Illinois basketball thing. Lou Henson couldn't get past the second weekend after the final four year. Couldn't do it. Lon Kruger couldn't do it. Bill Self did it, of course, because he's Bill Self. Two of the three years. Bruce Weber did his first two years, and then never again, right? This is a recurring thing. So that means in my lifetime, what does that mean? I can count four Sweet 16 weekends that, yeah, that's, that. yeah, four. Four! So that's not a Brad Underwood thing, though it has become one because you lost that Loyola game that year. You take that game away, I don't think we're having this conversation, but that that's neither here nor there. Don't want to open that can again because it just sucks to do so. But yeah, this is a, it feels like we're in a good spot, doesn't it? Now, of course, that goes away if you lose a Colgate. Doesn't feel good if you lose Missouri. I don't think those things are going to happen, though. I don't. This team seems to just like each other. And that's not really great analysis on my part, I understand. That's not like, hey, well, what does that mean, Carp? I don't know. What I do know, though, is intangible things like that, whether or not a team likes each other or plays for each other, as meatball-y as that sounds, I do think it counts for something. The Florida Atlantic game was a great example of that. And, you know, we see these clips afterwards of guys in the locker room, and we saw that last year after some of those early wins, too, and it gets you pumped, and we thought then, no, there's no problems on this team, and then the Penn State game happened. But, you know, Jeremy asked Derek Piper, just, hey, your gut. What are the vibes right now? And Derek said, they're better. They're better. And I think people around the team could feel that last year and that those comeback wins against UCLA and Texas, they were merely band-aids on a gaping wound, right? Felt great at the time, but they were covering up a lot of deep-seated issues within, <clears throat> within that locker room. But I don't get that sense of this team. Not that I'm following them closely or know the ins and outs of, of what the beat reporters would know. But... When you're old and you like each other, and for a lot of these guys, this is the last chance, I I like the intangible quality of that. And when you mix in the fact that you have a true all-American caliber player in Terrence Shannon and some pretty good talent around that in the eight deep, hey, you can work with that. And let's just go 10 and two to end this year. Let's, Let's end 2023 feeling great going into, what is a big, 
Big Ten home game on January 2nd against Northwestern. That's a big one. That would be pretty cool to go there 10-2, and two, that atmosphere, the day after New Year's Day. Yeah, that's and then we're getting to it. By the way, Friday, January 5th, is at Purdue? Yeah, well, that'll be a fun live pod for that. That's one just like, what the hell, take your shot. Though I do recall, now last thing here before we, we wrap it up, Bruce Weber's uh, sixth, fifth or sixth team, 2008-2009, I want to say it was like December 30th. It was right before New Year's. And the, the Chester Frazier, Trent Meacham, Mike Davis, Mike Tisdale, the team that ended up getting a four seed in the NCAA tournament, one of Weber's better coaching jobs, they beat Purdue at Purdue, I think, in overtime in what was a great game. Let me make sure I'm getting that right there. This is 09, Illinois basketball. Yeah, Purdue. On the road, Tuesday, December 30th, they won 71-67 to in overtime. Yeah, that was a really good win. I want to say that was the Juwan Johnson and Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore. Yeah, that was a good team. Damn. So... You feeling good? I'm feeling good. I came down here trying to think, okay, well, what's my big takeaway? Big takeaway is this. I think that Brad Underwood is a very good coach and that the issues I've had with him, I'm not seeing as much with this particular team. And I hope that translates to 2024 and beyond when each and every year in this college basketball environment, you're going to have to remake your roster. I think he's probably set himself up for that well going in the future. And if we can end this year with the feeling that things are stable and, and heading in a positive direction in a way that we were not feeling last year, then that will give me a lot of peace of mind. And it does seem to be trending in that direction. Let's hope it does. All right, I'm going to get out of here and be back on Sunday. We'll do a second half podcast for the Colgate game, at least if it's on TV. Oh, Craig, let me see if it is. As I check that, oh, well, here we go. Colgate is on BTN. Yes, we can do it. If it was Big Ten Network Plus, sorry, we would have been SOL. DP Doe, I'm on at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Owen Builders, LLC. Online at owenbuildersllc.com for home additions, patios, decks, and more. owenbuildersllc.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. Online at Brian is my guy. Dot com, life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well. Thank you to Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Thank you to the listeners. The ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are great. And no YouTube for this one, just did an audio podcast. But we will be back Sunday for a live reaction during the second half of the Illinois Colgate game. In the meantime, everybody, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. It is the 200 Level. <laughs>